This is Miss Val, the author of Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance, and I am on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Sang. Hey, this is James Loney on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Sang. Hi, this is Derek Cox, and it's been a pleasure being here on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Sang. What do Hall of Fame gymnastics coach Valerie Condos field? Football's Derek Cox and baseball's James Loney have in common? They all appeared on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern, and along with Lucy Sang, we thank Miss Val, Derek, and James for helping us kick off another season of conversations with elite athletes who prove once again that the traits of personality and character that made them elite athletes are the same ones that allow them to establish lives of meaning and purpose once their playing days are over. Lucy and I created this podcast because we are admirers of elite athletes and the challenges they face in making that often difficult transition at a young age to new challenges. After all, imagine the commitment, often since childhood, it takes to become the best in a sport, but then the realization that your time at the top of the mountain is so fleeting. So much of your life is ahead of you. What Lucy and I have found is that these elite athletes are elite people with stories we know you will find inspiring. We hope you enjoy this edition of After the Glory. Welcome to After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with my co-host Lucy Seng. And we are very privileged today to welcome the Ware Brothers, Travis and David, who had memorable, wonderful careers in the sport of basketball at UCLA. Uh, both had professional careers and both clearly student athletes who prepared themselves for life after the glory, which is what we're all about. Travis and David, welcome to our show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having me. You got it. Uh, I am, first of all, and I know you get this all the time, uh, but with Zoom, I am not going to have any problem at all knowing who I'm talking to <laughs> because all I have, all I have to do is uh, read the names on the square, on the squares. Well, little um, do we know they might be playing a joke on us. We, we wouldn't know actually. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We wouldn't know. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't get me started on that one because I was one of the victims in high school of a twin switch. Oh boy. Uh, and and, and be- <laughs> believe me, I, I never, I, and I'm not going to ask you guys if you ever pulled that kind of thing on any young ladies during your, uh, <laughs> during your, uh, your uh, formative years. Um, basketball. It is a sport where we define like other major sports, the elite athlete as someone who achieves a level of accomplishment that only the smallest fraction of people who pick up the ball and toss it over at their neighborhood park ever achieve. Um, The other thing about basketball that I think is important to discuss briefly is the stereotype. That is, oh my, if you're tall, you're going to play basketball. (laughs) And I suspect, obviously, as kids, that's not the first priority. When did you both pick up a basketball and decide, I really like this sport? Dave, David, go first. Um, I mean, I think we always had a basketball in our hand one way or another. Even, I mean, I can remember back just sitting in the driveway, kind of in diapers, having a basketball around. Because my dad played basketball 
So um, that's where it kind of was instilled in us, the game and growing up watching the Lakers and just messing around in the front yard. We had a hoop in the front yard and driveway that we'd be shooting around on all the time. But, um, you know, I, we played all the sports growing up. We played, you know, football and hockey and baseball and everything. Um, we were never kind of put in a position where, hey, you know, you're going to play basketball and this is what you're going to do. It was never like we were never kind of um, driven or kind of, I guess, steered towards basketball and that being what our future was for playing. Um, but we got more serious about it probably in elementary school and then middle school uh, is when we started getting more serious about it. Once we started growing, getting taller and realizing that we did have the skill set to be be really good at basketball and excel at basketball. Speaking well, of other sports, David, I just wanted to, you mentioned a few of the other ones and Travis, feel free to chime in. Did, did either of you ever skew to think that you were going to go pro or, you know, play in college in another sport at all? Definitely not. Um, I mean, our main focus once we got to high school was definitely basketball. Um, we had the height going into high school. I think we were both about six, six uh, freshman years and like the writing was on the wall at that point. It's going to be basketball. Um, that's going to be our future. I think it's going to be our best bet to get a, a scholarship. And at that point, you're not really thinking about going pro. Obviously, it's a dream. I mean, then to make it into a reality is just pretty much extra credit. Where were the, the, the sort of the values relative to just the overall life academics and so forth? Was that something that as you develop the, the elite level of skills in basketball, were the academics still something that your parents said, you got to do this too, guys. You can't just be out till eight o'clock at night shooting hoops. Yeah. Um, our parents were always very, um, not strict, but they would make sure we were very accountable with our schoolwork, being caught up, being good students, being accountable in the classroom, uh, and not just being solely focused on sports it's important to be very well-rounded because there is a life after the game um i mean i retired playing and Trav retired playing professional before we were even 30 years old and it's like you know you still got a whole life to lead you better be strategically setting yourself up for what's next after uh you're done uh playing the game of basketball um but that being said, it's always it goes hand in hand and being competitive, being accountable, a lot of the lessons that you learn through sports carry over in the other aspects of life as well as being hardworking and, uh, like I said, accountable and making sure you're being organized and uh, on top of your stuff. When you went to different places uh, in your life, modern day high school in the Orange County area and in North Carolina and UCLA, um, I'm, I'm curious on that last point, did you have mentors who likewise tried to give you a perspective in sports? And I asked that question because as you described the, the mindset of the student athlete, you both know that both in the public perception and perhaps even among some athletes, the importance of the well-rounded life and, and not just the sport sometimes get lost. You, you know that there are athletes who, who don't prepare very well in high school and, they're, and they get to a, a college and the college is not emphasizing the, uh, the, the tutoring and the, and the help uh, you know, when you're not in team meetings. Um, did you have mentors throughout that kept saying, as good as you are, 
it's not going to last forever. Of course. Um, you know, we had mentor of ours growing up through high school, Miles Simon played at U of A modern day guy. Um, you know, he, his professional career kind of similar to ours only lasted a handful of years. And now you see him, you know, having a great coaching career afterwards, but, um, you know, he always made sure one to focus on the academic side, but also to foster good relationships because ultimately at the, ultimately at the end of the day, it's, you know, you're going to kind of feed off of your alumni base and, um, take advantage of who, you know, in the process, don't burn any bridges, be polite to everyone you meet, just be a kind person. Um, but with that said, yes, you have plenty of, you know, when we were at UCLA, you have tons of tutors in every single class. Your coaches are harping on you to, uh, you know, maintain a good grade point average to most of the time just to qualify to remain eligible, but obviously to help you out, you know, post career wise. Um, if you, you know, graduate, get a degree, most people don't go on to play professionally. We are fortunate enough to do that. And now we're kind of set up to live the, the rest of our lives and, and hopefully maintain good, good, well-paying jobs. The, the, the interesting thing and when we come back after taking a short break is being twins, you took a journey together, but not forever. And that's something that I found in reading uh, all about you uh, fascinating. So after a short break, we'll come back and we'll talk about that aspect of the journey toward uh, the rest of your time in basketball and beyond. On After the Glory, this is Gary Stern with Lucy Sang and our special guests, David and Travis Ware. Hello, this is Dean, third generation owner of Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. We are located near UCLA in the heart of Westwood Village, where we have been since 1946. For 74 years, my family has stood for the highest standards of knowledge and integrity and are proud members of the prestigious American Gem Society. But it is our personal touch that truly makes us a cut above. Client relationships last for decades and generations. With six UCLA alumni, the family has supported UCLA for decades, including the famous Sarah Leonard Jewelers Watch Giveaway. For diamonds and colored gems, designer collections and estate jewelry, watches, custom design, and gorgeous gifts starting under $100, it's all here at Sarah Leonard Fine Jewelers. Mention the code GLORY and get 20% off your first purchase, plus a 10% UCLA discount on all future purchases. Call 310-208-3131 today for your appointment or visit us at sarahleonardjewelers.com. Free parking available. Again, call 310-208-3131, use the code GLORY, and experience the Sarah Leonard difference for yourself. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with Lucy Sang and our guests, Travis and David Ware. UCLA basketball stars and now stars in the world of uh, real estate and financials. Um, you're twins. You're identical twins. You both went to modern day. You both went to North Carolina. You both went to UCLA. Uh, there's a pattern here. And, and I'm curious if that was a discussion early on in your lives as, as obviously brothers who are close beyond anything that people could really relate to. Uh, a discussion about the direction your careers would take athletically that caused you to be together during those incredibly important uh, milestones. Uh, Travis? I mean, you see it across a lot of sports, especially in basketball. Most identical twins tend to stick together. Um, just you have the Morris twins, the Collins twins, the Lopez twins, just to name a few. Um, so I think from a young age, 
we just we're, we're identical twins. It was just, we love, we're comfortable being around each other, being side by side. So I think it was a given that once we got to the recruiting stage, it was going to be a package deal um, wherever we decided to end up going, which in that, you know, was North Carolina and then transferred home to UCLA. So let's share with our, with our uh, listeners and subscribers a little about that journey. Um, mm-hmm. Modern day, you both excelled. Um, uh, you both, uh, were leaders on your team, uh, modern day known as a, uh, a, a school with a rich athletic heritage. Uh, and now it's recruiting time, your local people, uh, who recruited you before the ultimate decision, of course, to go to North Carolina. Uh, we were recruited at UCLA by Ben Hallen and Donnie Daniels. Uh, Kansas was recruiting us pretty hard too. Uh, Roy Williams at North Carolina. Arizona, Arizona, Romar up at Washington. And then early on in the game was Mark Few and Gonzaga. And then ultimately we chose North Carolina. They're coming off their national championship season in 09. You know, it's a blue blood school in North Carolina, rich history. What's there not to like? Uh, yes, we're, we're recording this now just a few days away <laughs> from UCLA, North Carolina in the Sweet 16. So, yeah, uh, I know, right? It's I know. It's, yeah. it's a tough one because I would say for me outside of UCLA, which I never dare sway from our brew and blue, you know, yeah. I would root for the Tar Heels, but there's yeah. no way in hell on Friday. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, one of the things about, uh, about that subject, as long as we're sort of just talking about it, uh, injuries. Jaime Jaquez has a serious injury. Nobody knows if he's going to come back. I haven't heard anything about uh, diagnosis, uh, what x-rays showed, anything like that. Um, how important is it in basketball, especially the quality of the rehab to get you back? I imagine that that at this level of elite sport, you get the best care and the kind of injury that would take most people out of whatever they're doing uh, you get back somehow. Uh, is that something that is uh, is, that I'm correct about in terms of college athletics? hundred percent. You have some of the best staff on, you know, on staff and you got young guys too. You got thoroughbred. They bounce back easy. Yeah. Um, Jaime's I think rolled that ankle a couple times already this year. So I don't you tend to bounce back a little quicker. If you rolled it a couple times, those ligaments are a little looser. So they're not so much, there's not so much damage when you do it again. Um, I expect him to be playing, but I just don't know at what capacity. He was also walking when he got off the plane uh, coming back from, uh, from the first couple of games. So I'm assuming, you know, it's always a good sign. Um, Yeah. But again, you have, you have world-class staff um, on the, on the campus. I mean, especially a school like UCLA and, you know, it's a little different than the professional level. He still has to, I'm assuming, I don't know what his class schedule is like, if he's going into <laughs> class or if he's able to, you know, sit in the recovery room and get caught up on stuff there. But, um, I'm know, sure he's, I, I'm sure he's been cut a little slack this week. Maybe take care of some stuff on the training table and yeah. get that ankle back. Tell everybody about the NCAAs, the March Madness. You both, uh, uh, yeah. had, had a chance. Tell us about it. What's, what's the experience like? It's amazing. So our senior year, we advanced to the Sweet 16. Our junior year, we lost in the first game to Minnesota. 
Exactly. Uh, but it's amazing. It's like, it kind of reminds me of like an AU kind of environment where it's just, you roll the ball out and you play um, the first game you have a chance to prepare, but then the next game, it's like, you have a day and most of the, it's kind of, you're staying off your feet. Cause you just played a game. You probably played the most intense game of your life. So you might not be rolling to the gym to have an intense practice. You're just going over scouting report and then going out the next day and playing and trying to execute it. So uh, it's quick turnaround times, a lot on the line, you get your adrenaline going, amazing atmospheres. It's one of the best playing and any sort of level, just atmospheres you can possibly be in. Yeah, you go to the town and the whole, you know, the whole city is geared towards hosting the March Madness, whether it's the first round or the second round, whatever it is. Um, you know, the atmosphere is electric. You have fans from all over the country watching their teams play. You know, you got other fans hanging back and rooting for the, the games after. So it's it's amazing. It's it's. It's really hard to beat. I don't know of a better experience than, you know, competing talk, in, in March Madness. Talk, talk about your sport, though, in this context. How do you explain, just from the emotional and mental side of the game, a St. Peter's beating a Kentucky? How is that possible? How do you explain it? What is it about your sport that allows for that to even be possible? So much momentum in basketball, right? Like, you can have a team that plays as a collective unit and they just get momentum and then they get confidence and then they just start hitting shots and figuring out ways to get stops. So that's exactly what happened in that St. Peter's Kentucky game. You know, it was close the entire first half and St. Peter's starts developing this confidence. Oh, we could play with these guys. Oh crap. We can win. And then that just snowballs and you see what happens. You can have these underdogs topple these big teams and, He's one just – I feel like any team could beat another team, you know, one time. Now, if it's a seven-game series, you probably make adjustments, and that's not the case. But in, the, in March Madness, you just, you just need one, one game to play great and have everything come together. That's why it makes it's madness. That's why it yeah, makes it so special. You, 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 have, you have one off night, you lose. You know, a lot of times a team like the, the St. Peter's or these other teams, the veteran teams – a lot of times consistency and discipline and a solid defensive game plan really can offset a bad shooting night. And you get a young team like Kentucky who might not take care of the ball as much. And it's once you get to March Madness, it's possession basketball. Every possession means so much. And the teams that generally have a solid defense who value the basketball, they don't turn it over, end up being able to make it, you know, further along. So, um, it's, that's why we watch it. That's why everyone's tuned in the first weekend for the upsets. I mean, it's, it happens every year and it's, it's, it's pure madness fun to watch. and yeah. we love it. Well, Travis, earlier you mentioned when we were talking about mentors, that one of the things you all learned was to never burn any bridges. Mm-hmm. And I imagine, and this is a topic Gary and I have not talked about frequently on our podcast just yet, but the aspect of transferring, you know, choosing to go somewhere else and, you know, changing your allegiance, for lack of better words, learning a new team. When we come back, let's dive deeper into how that transition and decision of leaving UNC a top elite, you know, basketball team to another one at UCLA. Mm -hmm. On After the Glory, we'll be back. This is Lucy Sang with Gary Stern and the Ware Brothers. 
Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching, R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory. And we're back on After the Glory. Gary Stern with Lucy Sang and our very special guest, David and Travis Ware. Um, guys, you had the, the great experience at UCLA. Um, and then talk about the pro game. Uh, and, and there's a different experience. For David, um, you played a lot overseas. Um, uh, you played uh, uh, D-League. Tell us about the, the, the pro experience um, before you finally decided to wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was super fortunate to play, you know, professionally for five years and, um, you know, enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, it was a blessing. Uh, upon graduating, uh, went to summer league with uh, the Chicago Bulls, um, played pretty well, and then got a camp invite to the Sacramento Kings, at which point um, I ultimately ended up going to the D-League spending the majority of the year there before getting called up towards the end of the season and finishing with the Sacramento Kings. Um, you know, upon finishing that up, my wife, uh, who actually played basketball as well, uh, she was actually playing overseas in Europe. And, uh, you know, back when I was in the, uh, the D league, it wasn't quite as, it wasn't like what it is today. I think it's a little bit better today and, more professional, there's a little more money in it. There's a little bit, uh, it's, it's just a little bit better now than it. I didn't really want to do the D-League again and ultimately saw a good opportunity to play in a great country in Spain. Uh, played over there for a few years and, and had a great time. And from there, bounced over to Japan and finished in Australia. So was able to see the world, playing a game I love and making a good living. And, Tell our fans what that's about, that the, the, the salaries... This is, I think, something people just don't know. The salaries are significant, aren't they, in the, in the countries that, that have sort of learned the game from us, and, but they've developed their own kind of unique fan base. Tell us about Spain, Japan, Australia. Yeah, so, um, yeah, the ACB League in Spain is considered one of the top, uh, you know, overseas professional leagues in the, in the world, uh, right behind the NBA. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're right. It's like coming from the G League where, or the D League back then, it's – you know, the pay isn't great. And then obviously overseas, you get a significant pay up, uh, pay raise where it's like comparable to, you know, what you would be getting kind of minimum wage in the NBA. And, um, you know, you kind of make that conscious decision to where okay, I want to start setting myself up for, you know, life after the game and uh, you know, save some and potentially look to you know, my house, one things like that. Um, but playing in Spain was great. A lot of high level players, a lot of former NBA guys, a lot of uh, high-level European guys that are now. I mean, I played against Luka Doncic for two years. You know, he was in Real Madrid. So guys like that are, are playing over there in that league. And then Japan was a great experience. Um, you know, they, uh, they really value uh, American imports, especially bigs. That's what kind of make up a lot of that league in terms of the imports. It's mostly big guys. And they love basketball. They treat the players really, really well, extremely professional. Um, super fun environment to play in. And I always 
wanted to kind of finish up or at least bounce down and heard great things about the Australian league and, uh, you know, living there and playing there. Um, it, yeah. Couldn't be, it lived in Sydney. It was summertime. Very, again, very, very professional. Um, Did you travel to other cities on, on the continent? Yeah, of course. I think we, there's, uh, there was eight teams in that league when I was there and uh, we went to uh, quite a, we went to every single one in Perth. Brisbane, did, did you play at that arena in Adelaide? Which one? I mean, there was a couple. I don't know. We played at a smaller gym in Adelaide. I don't know if it was. Okay. Uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure what uh, yeah, my, arena you're referring to. Well, my, my daughter was with Disney on Ice, and uh, she, she okay. skated at, uh, at the arena in Adelaide. I loved Adelaide. Beautiful town. Yeah. Yeah. South Australia. It was a really nice town. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, honestly, there wasn't a town that I went to in Australia that I wasn't like blown away or I didn't think it was nice. You know, yeah. The whole country is phenomenal. I don't have a single bad thing to say about yeah. it. Travis, tell us about your pro experience. It's a little different. Uh, you you had, and I'd like you to weave in here for both you and David. I guess, for lack of a better phrase, the politics of of the pro game, the the aspect of somebody else is making decisions about your play. Your you know somebody else is deciding, am I going to sign him or not sign him? And and how do you react to how do you deal with that aspect of of the way your life is sort of being controlled by these people? Uh, well, I'll, be, I'll start off with kind of like my journey. Um, I graduated UCLA and went to summer league, played on a couple of different teams, played on the Atlanta Hawks summer league, transferred like after a couple games over to the Knicks, played more, played pretty good in one game. It earned me a uh, camp invite with the New York Knicks. Uh, New York at that time had every single roster spot filled. So it was, kind of going into camp anticipating of they were anticipating me going to the G league. I, in, in my mind and my heart was like, I'm going to do everything I can to possibly make this team play great. Um, kind of leading up to preseason. We had open gym every day. I would show up and just you know play my hardest and was really playing well, probably the best of my career played great in the preseason. They ended up making a roster cut and, um, signing me for the year. Uh, Phenomenal experience. Come rookie year, being in New York, playing alongside like Carmelo, Jr., Iman Shumpert, you know, all these, Mari Stoudemire, all these guys. Um, just a dream come true, uh, being in the NBA. And then I got hurt with like a month left in the year. Um, they didn't resign me, so I jumped overseas to Spain. And then Dave was actually over there in Madrid at the time. I was in San Sebastian, so we were playing in the same league. We got to see each other a couple times. Uh, you know, my wife was, my wife was here working in Southern California. So having only seen her two weeks out of the entire year, I was like, okay, I want to get back to, you know, America and try to find, you know, find my career there. Um, so luckily I got a camp invite with the LA Lakers that summer coming back from Spain and I played really well. They invited me to summer league, played well there. They invited me to camp. And I played well, but they ended up cutting me uh, and putting me on their G League team. So then for the remaining four years, I was kind of, uh, you know, in the G League to start. And then they got called, I got called up and played like half the year. And then they re-signed me in the summer for a two-way. They started the year on a two-way. I got cut, finished the year on the G League. And then next year, started the year G League, tore my ACL, and boom, that was oh, it. Oh, on the ACL. I've done, I've, I ruptured mine at the age of 23. <laughs> By the way, trivia question for all of our uh, listeners, and uh, Travis, I want you to answer it. Mm-hmm. I want you to name me the uh, forward 
who held LeBron James when he came into the game <laughs> to guard him to 0 for 4 from the field. Who, who was that player, Travis? That was me. Yeah, it was his. <laughs> so that, that was Woo! probably the best, I mean, the most memorable NBA experience I had because it was LeBron's, my second game ever as a pro and LeBron's home opener in Cleveland after coming back from Miami where he had run a championship. Yep. So I remember pulling up to the arena in a bus and um, you could, it, we had a police escort just to get to the arena because the streets were just packed people. Like you couldn't even go through the streets. So the atmosphere was electric and I was definitely, my heart was beating out of my chest when I checked into that game. So after a short break, we'll come back on after the glory. This is Gary Stern with Lucy saying, and our special guests, David and Travis Ware. This is Daryl Wayne, here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life, but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org, that's S-T-E-R-N, or you can call him at 818-710-2717, that's 818-710-2717. And we're back on After the Glory. Gary Stern with Lucy Sang and our very special guest, David and Travis Ware. I want to circle back really quickly. Travis, you mentioned going to Spain the same time David was there. Was that the first mm -hmm. time you guys played on opposing teams? Like against each other? I mean, yeah, yeah it was actually. That was the wow. first time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Did, you, did, you, yeah. did you trash talk each other? <laughs> no, no, not, no, not really. Not really. Even when we're playing against each other, we both, in a way, want each other to do well. There you oh, go. Oh, that's too go. sweet. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Um, David, tell us about what I think is probably one of the most important things we try to talk about on After the Glory. Mm. The, the the career is coming to an end, and mm. you know you're 30 years old, and you were positioned. Both of you were positioned beautifully to move into the, the business world. But there is a part of this that I think people forget, which is you cannot replicate going to the office, the cheering, the adrenaline, the, the, the being in front of 20,000 people. And I'm curious how each of you has sort of addressed for yourselves that transition to no longer having that aspect of life uh, that is such a, a high uh, in the, in the truest sense of the word high. Tell it, tell us how you address that issue for yourselves. If it's a, even something that you had to address. Um, I don't know if it's so much of an issue. Uh, I think, I mean, that's a great question first. Uh, I definitely think coming in uh, and looking at what I was going to do uh, after basketball, I knew what I wanted to do was I wanted to be in a career where um, I was able to get out what I could in a sense that I knew I had a great work ethic and I knew that I was going to put forth the effort uh, and I wanted to be in something where I can use the traits and the qualities that I had as a uh, as an athlete 
and let that complement uh, the next career that I was going into. Um, and, um, you know, it obviously, I think if you want to thrive after, after basketball and in, in the professional world, I think it really just starts with, you know, having a great mentor, uh, much like having a great coach, having a great system, um, and then having, you know, being disciplined and having, you know, uh, the consistency day in and day out. So a lot of the same aspects that you apply as an athlete, uh, you know, I'm applying every single day when I come into work and come into the professional world. It's those same, uh, that same mindset is really what allows, I think, a lot of athletes to excel uh, in the professional world once they graduate. So you develop a system and a work habit, a work ethic and habits that uh, you can go in and replicate it. And tell our listeners where you're at now. Oh, so right now, so I work with NFM Lending. So I am a uh, direct lender mortgage advisor. Uh, and actually, again, what goes back to you know, what Chad was touching uh, based on earlier is not bringing any bridges. Uh, I tell young kids all the time, take advantage of the alumni association, uh, network your butt off while you're still there. Uh, you know, my branch manager is a former UCLA water polo player. And, you know, he kind of took me in and mentored me and is showing me the ropes of how to excel in this new industry. And it's great. I love it. And there is a path to be very successful. And so um, it, it all goes around with you know, being well-rounded and taking advantage of the relationships that are um, around you at that college level. Same experience for you, Travis? Oh, yeah. Um, just the same type of competitive nature that I had as an athlete transitioning that into the working world um, has been instrumental, I think in early success. Um, and like, I network with UCLA people every day, every single week. Uh, and it's, you know, helped me a lot from a professional standpoint and, you know, getting deals done and, and just getting a lot of deal flow um, in my business. And, and tell us the name of your company. So I work with a company called Harvest. Um, we're a non-bank SBA lender for commercial real estate. Um, essentially, we finance any type of owner-user commercial real estate property that a small business or medium-sized business is looking to acquire. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, yes, I work. I work a ton. I work constantly with small businesses every single day. Beautiful. Travis well, does uh, commercial stuff, and I do uh, residential. There you go. There you go. Well, complimentary. I love yeah. it. Yeah. You know, it's amazing, Lucy. Uh, both of these gentlemen uh, embody everything we talk about uh, among the elite athlete. It's the trait that makes you elite. The traits that got you where you went to and achieved are the traits that hold you in really good stead for the remainder of your lives. And I think that it's important people understand the value athletics has not just for the fans who cheer, but among your peers to demonstrate um, what you can achieve with hard work. Uh, we thank both of you for joining us today on After the Glory. Uh, Lucy, always good to see you. We'll catch up with everybody next time. This is Gary Stern along with Lucy saying, thanks, David. Thanks, Travis. Thank you. Appreciate you having us. Thank you, Got Lucy. It. Thank you, Gary. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team. Our producer, Mark Allen, executive producer from Podclips, Mike Anderson, and our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. 
We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstad. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic. Living the dream on a shooting star. Hometown crowd cheering what you are. Living large and riding high. Razzling and dazzling across the sky. Back in the day, so young and strong. We're going to play you can do no wrong. But when that fight is through, what you gonna do? Hey, hey, what's your story? What you gonna do after the glory? Step back and take inventory. Checking out new territory. Not every day. Hopefully you're still revelatory Come on down